that was a blessing to you. I am looking forward to uh, being in vacation Bible school this week, and I've never made that statement as long as I've been a pastor, <laughs> because I, I, I've never actually uh, had the privilege of doing it. And I say it's a privilege because in studying this week and looking at all that the kids are going to be learning, and, and you know, I get it, it, it's kind of oxymoronic, it's a little bit of a paradox to think of kids going to school in the summer. And why would any normal child say, oh, yes, I want to go to a school in the summer? And uh, and so we may change that, you know, in the coming uh, years to call it something else. Uh, But but Vacation Bible School historically has been just that. It's a place where you can come and learn about the Bible. And so without, you know, uh, changing any of the words, people have said, no, we're going to stick to Vacation Bible School like it's some, you know, sacred cow. We can't change those names or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, uh, in, in having our children under the teaching of the Word of God in a way that they can learn the Word of God is a blessing. It's huge. And I have learned so much just this week in, in restudying different passages of Scripture and uh, looking at different things. We're, we're going to approach it from a standpoint of being on an island. and just uh, It's called Mystery Island, and, and I'm looking forward to it. We've got a lot of people that are going to be helping us. And, and uh, if... if if you're, you know, you don't have kids necessarily, or if you do have kids, I want to encourage you just to stick around for the opening act of the whole thing. We have a very special guest, uh, Captain Crispy, is going to be our pirate that's going to come in, and I don't even want to let it out of the bag of who it is. But we're, it's, it, it really is going to be fun for me to work with this gentleman, and uh, we we are going to have so much fun. Uh, and I, I I I literally. That, that unfortunately, this is sad, I'm admitting this as a pastor, that's probably the one thing I'm looking forward to the most, is just the introduction of the whole thing and the closing of the whole thing, uh, because it looks so much fun. Now, whether or not I can pull it off is another story, uh, so you pray for me, but here's what I want you to pray the most. Would you pray this? Would you pray that God uses his word more than the people, more, more than the antics and all the stuff that you do to try to get kids excited and, and, and involved. Just pray that God would use this word in the hearts of the people. You know, there are a lot of Christians that gave their heart to Christ in vacation Bible school, and they got saved during that time, or at least God used it to soften their hearts during that time so they could get saved. And so just pray this week. It's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night, 6 to 7.30. And if you have any kids in your neighborhood or kids that you know, and they're not doing anything from those times, grab them and bring them down here. Tell their parents about it first, but grab them, bring them down here. And otherwise, you'll get arrested for kidnapping. And then, uh, and, and we'll do our level best to teach them about Christ. I think right now, praise the Lord, we have like 50 kids signed up, and that's a blessing. We were praying for 50. When we started out, we were like, Lord, are we going to have 15? Are we going to have 20? And just to have 50 uh, on, on the roll, that's just of who's registered is a real privilege. And that's a huge stewardship. So pray. Please pray for our week, and we'll ask the Lord to bless that. First Samuel chapter 9. And it wasn't Brother Tomlinson a real joy last week. Man, that guy was just, he's just so true blue. Love that guy. Um, if you care to, if you've ever heard of Unshackled or you haven't heard of it, it's a radio broadcast from the Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois. And it's been on the air for decades. And uh, they, have a, a, they have an app that you can get on your phone uh, or you can go on the website. And you can search Dwight Tomlinson and it will take you to a story that he recorded or they recorded on his behalf in 2004. It's basically a 30-minute summary of his life going to Vietnam and when he got saved and how God used all of that time frame to get, to get saved. 
Unshackled is a, really a 30-minute radio program that airs from the Pacific Garden Mission. And it has to do with God's power of salvation through the gospel on a life that God's redeemed. And they've been doing it for, like I said, decades. And his story is one of them. And, uh, and so I want to encourage you, if you can, go and listen to it. It's fantastic. It'll help you to know him a little bit more. But he was such a help to us. I just felt like he was standing up here and counseling me personally the entire time he was preaching. And I really enjoyed him. So thank you for listening. So last week you got pizza. This week you get meatloaf. I'm sorry about that. But everyone's, you can't have pizza every day. Right, teens? You can't have pizza every day. So sometimes you got to have meatloaf. Or broccoli or whatever. However boring you want to see me is that. That's what we got. First Samuel chapter 9. We're going to read two verses there. And then we're going to go to chapter 10. And I want to give you just a snippet of Saul's life because we want to take other portions of his life and uh, and look at what we possibly can use to extract for our life. So uh, let's read just a few verses here this morning. We'll pray and jump into uh, our message. Chapter nine, first Samuel, chapter nine, the Bible says in verses one and two. Now, there was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Betcheroth and the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, notice the phrase, a mighty man of power, and he had a son whose name was, say it out loud, Saul, a choice young man and a goodly. And there was not among the children of Israel a goodlier person than he. From his shoulders and upward he was higher than any of the people. By the way, it doesn't mean they had a long giraffe neck, it just means that he was tall. We'll talk about that in a minute, all right? Now take your Bibles and turn over to chapter 10. And I want to look down at verse 17. Chapter 10 and verse 17. All right. The Bible says, And Samuel called the people together unto the Lord to Mizpah, and said unto the children of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all the kingdoms, and of them that oppressed you. And ye have this day rejected your God, who himself saved you out of all your adversities and your tribulations. And ye have said unto him, Nay, but set a king over us. Do you remember that? We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We, we, don't want to, we want to be like all the other nations, right? We want to be like everyone else in the world. We don't want to be different anymore. We don't want to be peculiar and so, remember, God said, all right, Samuel, tell them, tell them what they get. Tell them what's behind curtain one. And so he says it. And now is when he's going to become king. So now we're going to skip through this portion of Scripture and some stories that God tells about Saul and about his family. We'll get to briefly. And then now he says, now, look, remember what you said? You said, no, give us a king. Now, therefore, middle of verse 19, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes. And by your thousands. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, uh, the tribe of Benjamin was taken. And when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family Matri was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. And when they sought him, he could not be found. Okay, now let me pause there and say this. In between chapters 9 and 10, Saul came to Samuel to find his daddy's sheep. They were lost. And he said, look. There's a prophet here. Let's go ask him. So Saul goes to Samuel and he says, look, I'm going to tell you something that's more important than your dad's sheep. Don't worry about your dad's sheep. They've been found. I'm going to tell you that God wants you to be the king of Israel. And he's like, huh? don't you know that I'm of the least of the tribes? I'm a Benjamite. And, 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 and this is this is bigger than me. I, I, 
I, I really, and he just kind of resists a little bit. Samuel's like, no. And he anoints him with oil. He says, no, you're going to be the king. Well, now he's called all of Israel together, right? He says, look, here's the day. You wanted a king. You get your king. And Saul knows that he's the guy. And Samuel says, okay, where is he? And they're like, we don't know. Well, the Bible says he was hidden under the stuff. He was hiding from his responsibility. Now, now get it. This is the guy that they want to be their king. All right, now watch. He was not to be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further if the man should yet come thither. And the Lord answered, Behold, hath hid himself, he had hid, him, hid himself among the stuff. And they ran and fetched him thence. You don't get a choice in the matter. You're going to come. And when he stood among the people, he was higher than any of the people from his shoulders and upward. And Samuel said to all the people, See ye him whom the Lord hath chosen, that there is none like him among the people. Now watch this. And all the people shouted. You thought Britain made this statement up? No, God made this statement up. God saved the king. That's what they all said. All right. Then Samuel told the people the manner of the kingdom. And he wrote it in a book. And laid it up before the Lord. Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. And as we open it today, we pray for understanding. And I pray that you would help us to hear what the Spirit of God has to say to this church. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, would you take just 60 seconds and say, Lord, will you speak to me today from your word? Now, Father, we present ourselves to you and we ask, God, that you'd please speak to us. I ask that you'd speak to me. I ask that you'd use me as a vessel, Lord, and help me to get out of your way. And Lord, just fill me with your spirit and use me as your mouthpiece. I pray that all of us as Christians, as your people here today, would hear from heaven. And Lord, whatever you say, we promise not only to hear and listen to, but we want to obey it. We pray that you'd give us wisdom and grace to be able to do it and the courage to do it no matter what the cost. Lord, today it may cost us some pride. It may cost us a pattern of life. But in the end, when we lose our life to you, we find a better life, an abundantly rich life full of grace and mercy and a blessed life according to your first sermon. And so we pray that you'd help us to live up to the vocation wherewith we've, been all, we've all been called. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we last studied Israel, they were clamoring for a king and they had rejected God, as we said. They were done with God telling them what to do. They were done with God telling them how to live and where to go and and all of the things that were required of God. And uh, they wanted to have a king of their choosing. So God gave them exactly what they wanted. Now, for those of you that have children, isn't it amazing what children want and how often they want it? And then when they get it, how often it changes and then they want something else. And they want something else, kind of like us, pretty much. But it, but when they're children, at least, sometimes you can look at them and say, now, I know what's better for you. This is what you want, but don't you know, if you get this, it's not going to be what you thought it was. It's going to break. It's not going to last, whatever. We were uh, visiting my family, or Ashley and Matt, actually, in Fort Collins a couple weeks ago. And we were in Estes, Colorado. Has anyone ever been to Estes, Colorado? Absolutely beautiful place. And uh, we were in this like shop and it was one of those throwback shops, you know, you go into and you go, oh, look, these are all the candies that I remember. And, 
You know what I'm talking about? The, the stuff that you liked or didn't like. It, it, it was all in there. And we got back to the back of the store and we were getting all different kinds of candy or whatever. And uh, like you do on vacation. And uh, I looked over and you guys remember, especially the guys in here, but some girls may have gotten them. Do you remember the, the little balsa wood gliders that came in the package? They were like a buck, maybe less. And they had like three or four pieces. Remember that? And you put them all together. You slide very carefully. You slide them in there because if you didn't do it carefully, you're like, oh, can I get another one? So you slide it in there. And, and, and you did the back tail, you put the vertical stabilizer on it, and then the last piece, remember the last little metal piece was on the front, and you stuck it on there and we're like, Neh, and you mashed it in there, right? And then you threw it, and it didn't really, it was like, it, it was, it was kind of disappointing, but you thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, and the only problem with that is that it broke almost every time you threw it at any distance or off any height. As soon as it hit, it'd go off to the side and you'd have to redo the wings. If you didn't get them on just right, it would kind of fly weird. And you're like, this is not very good. And you break it anyway. So my son walks in there and he's like, oh my goodness. And I was like, don't get those. <laughs> and, and, I, and what was I speaking from? Experience. I was saying it looks appealing because there's a plane on the outside and it appears to be something that it's really not. But the people that produce this spent like two cents and they're going to charge you 250 and I'm not good with those percentages, no matter who the shark is. And, and I, I, I just don't do it because it's not worth it, right? Well, isn't it interesting that God looks at us kind of that way? He looks at Israel and he says, look, I know this is what you want. But what you don't actually see is you don't want a king. You just don't want me to be your Lord. And, and in wanting to get a king, you really don't know what you're asking for. And so in all fairness, I'm, I'm going to show you what you were getting now what they really needed was to say stay a theocracy only under god that's what they needed they needed to stay under the judges and under the prophets and at that time samuel was being used of god and 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 and, and his words didn't fall to the ground everybody was like yes it's obvious that god's with samuel but they wanted a king and so like many of us parents that give in sometimes my mom would say i would go to long's drug do you guys remember long's drug we had a Long's Drug by my house, and uh, I would go to Long's Drug, and I had a hundred Hot Wheels, one hundred Hot Wheels, and I had them all in cases, and I wouldn't let any of my friends play with them because they would ruin them, and I was just very particular. I would go to, it never failed, I would go into Long's, and I would say, <gasps> Mom, I would go right to the Hot Wheels section, for 99 cents you could get a Hot Wheel. Do you know how much they are today? Has anybody looked? They're like five bucks! I'm thinking, are you kidding me? That thing is not worth a dollar that I used to pay. It's not worth five bucks. But I would go there, even though I had a hundred, and I would say, can I get a Hot Wheel? Mom said, no. And I'd say, but why? I said, because you've got a hundred. You don't use them. <laughs> but, but that's one that I don't have. And, and, and we're always trying to get something that looks better than what we've got so that we can have something that we really don't need. And God sees that oftentimes. That's exactly where we find uh, Israel, God tells us a lot about the first king of Israel. We know him as Saul. By the way, it's a little ironic. Saul's name means asked for. Isn't that interesting? Israel got what they asked for. His name means Saul, but the Bible describes him. Look at verse 2. In a very, in a very specific way, and, and I'm so thankful for the word of God. Notice what it says. His father, the Bible says in verse 2, that he was a mighty man of power. Underline that, circle it. You know what it means? It means he had money. The, the, the phrase literally means substance and wealth. So he came from a house of privilege. All right? He had money. That's already a mark in the right direction. Man, the leader 
of our nation needs to know what it's like to have money. Apparently, that that's that's important. You 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 have to have that. So he's a he's a mighty man of power. Then look at the Bible calls him a choice young man. That means that he was in good shape. That means that he was of prime age when they looked at him. He was you could say a specimen, right? Uh, he I don't know I don't I don't think they had gymnasiums then. He didn't need it, but you could look at him and say, wow, that that's that guy's attractive. He's well built. We already know the Bible says that he was head and shoulders above all other in Israel, which, by the way, if you've ever been to Israel, it's not a hard thing. They're not very tall people. Um, It's kind of interesting. They're they're really not. So when you see a tall one, you're like, dude, you're a Hebrew. You're like, did you are you on the national basketball team? Because it's not normal. Right. So here they look at him. They know that he's got money because they know of where he is. They know the tribe, the dad. They know uh, that means that he looks a, a, a specific way. He's already tall. He has the physique. But notice what it says. Did you did you catch the word that he's goodly? And it says that he was goodlier than anybody else. Do you see that phrase? It's interesting. That phrase goodly means that he was happy, that he was also agreeable. That is, he got along with people. He was fun going with. That's what the phrase means, that that he had kind of a charisma about him. So now let's just check it. He comes from a house that's solid. At least in the mind's eye of people looking at the house, he he's a man who man he's a son of a guy that has some money. That's a checkbox for us. And oh look, he he looks really good on the outside. That's a checkbox. And 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 look, he's got he's got charisma. And so obviously, what you see is what you get. And they did. You could say it this way: that he was tall, dark, and handsome. He was a winsome young man who had a lot going for him. Or you, we, we've said it like this way. Wow, that guy's sharp. We don't want to go into the long definition of that, but that guy's sharp. Or we'll say it about a couple. Well, that's a sharp couple. Well, what does that mean? Well, we, we don't even know him. We spent less than 30 seconds with him and we've already known them as sharp. Checkbox. Just by what we see. He and his dad seem to have a good relationship. The Bible talks about the fact that though his dad had money and his dad had servants. The Bible says that in the previous chapter that he went with a servant to go find his dad's sheep. He went to Saul and said, Saul, take your servant and go and find our sheep. And he was, he didn't say, well, don't you understand that I'm Saul? Like, I'm the tallest dude on your property and, like, I'm your son. Can't you send them to do it? No. He had no problem obeying his dad. Now, that's in his favor, by the way. And so he goes out. So he had a good relationship with his dad. He's the kind of guy that Israel was looking for, someone taller than everyone else, which would be important if any other nation ruler saw him, they're like, wow, this is your king. If this is any indication of what your nation is like, man, we better watch out because of the way he appeared. Someone taller than everyone else. Um, they checked his Facebook page and his Instagram account. And, you know, everything on Facebook and Instagram, that's like real life. Right. So you look at it. They checked it all. They saw, dude. You have so many followers. There's so many people that like retweet your tweets and everyone's looking on your Instagram account going, man, I want to have that guy. Did you see where they went on vacation? Honey, get the camper. We're going there because it just looks like so much fun. They checked it all and it all fit. They all looked at Saul's life and said, man, that's the guy. Scripture tells us the story of Saul and the summary is is this. and, and, And I'm saying it in a pun way, but Israel got exactly what they were looking for. Or you could say it this way, they got exactly what they were looking at, but 
But that's all they got. Now, without going into the whole story at this point, you just need to understand that appearances are not everything. But we have made them out to be way more than they are. Can somebody say amen right there? The fact of the matter is, I want us to consider three realities of majoring on the outward of our appearance. First of all, let's just agree to agree with what the Bible would tell us. And that is, number one, appearances are desired. Appearances are desired. People always say, don't judge a book by its. That's what they always say. Um, But they do their level best to create the best cover possible. Isn't that interesting? Don't judge a book by its cover. And then before we go out with our cover, we do our level best to make sure that that cover is the best it possibly can look like. Isn't it interesting? We say that, but most of us don't live by it. Let's face it. Making a first impression can be more important than a lasting impression at times. At least in our minds. In fact, our culture capitalizes on improvements of every kind. Injections, plastic surgery, clothes, shoes, cars, pets, vacations, houses, and all the accessories are sold for one reason. I want you to hear me say this today for the attention of someone else. That's the only reason. We want our cover to be noticed by someone else. And it's all idolatry of self. We, the guys that are in the Bible study on Wednesday night, we learned that this last Wednesday. The bottom line. 2 Samuel 14, verse 25. But in all Israel, the Bible says, there was none to be so praised as Absalom, watch, for his what? Beauty. They had another king. It was Solomon's son, Absalom, that was beautiful, and they praised him for it. Wait a minute. They never praised Solomon for his wisdom. They never praised Solomon for a thousand proverbs. They never praised Solomon because the queen of Sheba and all of her all of her entourage, they never praised Solomon for the people coming and saying, man, that guy walks with God. But they praised Absalom for his beauty. Interesting. The Bible says from the sole of his foot, even to the crown of his head, there was no what? Blemish. I have blemishes. I got moles. You should have seen me when I got married. I had zits all over my face. I was like a pepperoni pizza at the altar. It was awful. It was awful. Yeah, ew. I had acne so bad at times, I felt like I could just grab any square inch at a time and just squeeze. It was really that bad. Don't do not do that. They have shows called Dr. Pimple. All right? Some of you are addicted to that. My nephew is addicted to Dr. Pimple. It's like, it's the grossest thing, but it's the coolest just to see that stuff come out. I'm like, that is just, I'm going to barf if you say that again. So it's not that gross, but that was me. Now, the fact of the matter is, there wasn't a blemish. Some of you are like, yeah, I got some blemishes I'd like to get removed. Absalom didn't have any. I I don't know if that means that he didn't have acne. He grew out of acne. I don't know what it meant, but the Bible is pretty clear. He was perfect in the eyes of Israel, and they praised him for it. Isn't that interesting? Certainly, we're the first culture. We're we're the first culture to pursue the outward appearance. (laughs) No. We're not the first culture to serve uh, to pursue the outward appearance for status or really for approval. And we're not the first to ignore what the Bible says about it either. The Bible says in Proverbs 31, 30, favor is deceitful and beauty is vain. You see, we try to dress the cover to have a favor. And the Bible says, look, it's deceitful 
and the beauty that you're seeking is vain. Look at John 7, verse 24. Jesus made it a point to speak these words, judge not according to the appearance, but judge a righteous judgment. Now, that's from the Savior himself. Don't judge a book by its cover. Don't look at the appearance of someone and say, well, based on what I see of that individual, here's what I think. It says, judge a righteous judgment. Second Corinthians 10 and verse 10. Paul said, for his, or they said, Paul said, for his letters say they are weighty and powerful. Watch this. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. People were judging the way that Paul was in their church by saying, well, his speech is this way. And the way that he looks in his body is just kind of weak. He just kind of looks like a weakling. It's just not the kind of preacher that we want. The fact of the matter is too much emphasis is placed on the outward. So many want to be noticed, don't we? So many want to be liked. So many want the approval. So many want to be appreciated and sought after because of our appearance. You know, I make it a point never to leave the house without my makeup on. Because I don't want to see, Chris, I don't want you to ever see me without my makeup. Ever. And you have. <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'll never get that out of my mind. Why? God made you for who you are. You see my point? Now, look, I'm not saying if the bar needs painted that you shouldn't paint it. All right? I'm just saying the fact of the matter is the emphasis. You get it? The appearances. God says, wait, wait, wait. I just want you to stop. This is not you that has the problem. This is a human condition called pride. This is what Israel wanted. We don't want you, God. We want a guy that looks like that. We want something tangible, not something that we can't see. Yes, we have your words and yes, we see your glory cloud. But we want someone that looks like that because we want to look and be like everybody else in the world. Appearances are desired. Secondly, let's just. Get the cat out of the bag. Appearances are deceitful. Now, remember, Saul was a looker. He looked the part. By the way, there are Christians that look the part. They, they do. They, they smell like we smell. They dress like we dress. Or maybe not. They sing what we sing. Or maybe not. But they call themselves a Christian. And, 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 and they, they look the part by everything they say. But you can't judge a book by its cover and be right. Not necessarily what you see is what you get. Now, let me say this. At the end of this, I'll let you know what they do see is exactly what you should be. What they do see in you should be Christ. But we're looking for the wrong. We're trying to put on the wrong show. In describing Saul, we see what is stressed. Listen, not one time do they talk about his integrity. Not one time do they talk about his character or his righteousness. They don't say that anything about his wisdom, but only his appearance. His outward appearance was striking. In fact, impressive. Saul was handsome and tall without equal in the country, the Bible says. His personal appearance and charisma struck the onlooker like, whoa, that guy's the life of the party. I need to have him on my team. Judging from outward appearance, Saul seemed to have a great potential for leadership. Note the word potential. How many of us have said that? You sit in an interview and you say, man, this guy just seems like he has a lot of potential. And yet, how many of us have been like, yeah, he fell way short of that? All the interviews that you've ever done, all the people that you hired, really, how many people lived up to their outward appearance or their resume? I love the, I love the people say, you need to beef up your resume. What's that? You need to lie more. You need to make yourself look better than you really are. Am I right? You need to add this and take that out. Why? Because of what we want people to think about us. 
when the people looked at Saul, they would be able to take great pride in him because of his stature, his looks, his charisma, just the appearance people wanted in their leader. But note this fact, judging a person by outward appearance is nothing but fleshly pride. The inner qualities of the heart and mind were simply not mentioned as though, listen, as though they didn't even exist. Now remember, people in every age and in every area of society show the public one thing in the mirror, something else. Jesus said this about a certain group of people in Matthew chapter 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Notice the phrase. Fee are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful. What's the next word? Outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also. What's the next word? Outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. So apparently by Jesus' day, it had come to the fact that, well, as long as we look like we're religious, as long as we look like we're spiritual, people will think that we're spiritual. By the way, I did some digging. And did you know, you guys have heard of the phrase uh, Sunday best. How many have ever heard of that? Put on your Sunday best. You're going to go to church because you put on your Sunday best. Do you know how that came about? Since you brought it up and asked, let me tell you. In the 1800s, because people were coming to Christ, people who were of less means saw the people who had means to dress a certain way and didn't want to be seen any less than their common churchgoer. And so they did whatever they possibly could to go get the outfit that would put them on equal levels of people in their church. So the Sunday best in its origin was not about God at all. Did you know that? It wasn't about God. It was about appearance. And we've taken it from Matthew chapter 23 to the present day to a completely different level. That if I look like this, if I wear this, if I look like this or have this kind of appearance, People are going to think of me more than they really ought to. The appearance has always been a struggle for mankind. It's always been. I don't want them to see me in my present state. Why? Because of pride. Even in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, what did they do? They covered themselves. God said, why? What's this? What's up with this? You've never appeared before me like this. Well, we didn't want you to see us naked because we were ashamed. Wait a minute. I created you that way. I've never been ashamed of you a day in my life. Why would you be ashamed? What's what is the where does shame come from? Pride is where shame comes from. Second Corinthians five and verse 12. For we commend not ourselves again to you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf that ye may have somewhat to answer them, which glory watch, which glory in appearance and not in heart. You know what Paul's trying to do to this church? He's trying to get them to see that the inward man is far more important than the outward appearance of man. The fact of the matter is that trying to keep up an appearance is exasperating, isn't it? It's awful. During one of the political campaigns, a delegation called on Theodore Roosevelt at his home in Oyster Bay, Long Island. The president met them with his coat off and his sleeves rolled up. He said, ah, gentlemen, Come down to the barn and we'll talk while I do some work. So all the entourage walked down and 
at the barn, Teddy opened up and picked up a pitchfork and he looked around for all the hay. And there was no hay in the bottom. And so in front of everybody, he said, John, John, where's all the hay? John appeared from the hayloft and he said, sorry, sir. I ain't had time to toss it back down again after you pitched it up here when the Iowa folks were here. What's that? Well, I, I want everybody to know I'm a hard worker. So I'll pitch it up. You throw it back down. Then the next one will come through. I'll pitch it up, throw it back down. See, we're all, we all have the same problems, don't we? Favor is deceitful and beauty, beauty is vain. It's deceitful. Appearances are desired. They're deceitful. Thirdly, and I'm done. They're destructive. Appearances are destructive. Psalm 7 and verse 9. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth not the outward appearance. He trieth the heart and the reins, that which controls the heart. Now, they can be deceitful. In fact, they can be so deceitful that they lead to failure and destruction. Now, later we're going to see this is exactly what happened to Saul. Saul, we see this briefly at his anointing. He was hiding. Do you know why he was hiding? Because he knew he didn't have what it takes. He didn't have the integrity and the character to be the king of a nation. Oh, he didn't have any problem looking for sheep. He didn't have any problem being the lead ranch hand on his daddy's place, but he couldn't handle the fact that, are you kidding? I'm going to be in charge of God's people. They're looking to me instead of God. I I don't have what it takes inside. And God was like, I know. I know you don't. And by the way, God was very gracious to Saul. We'll talk about that this next week. Very gracious and helped him in every single possible way. Even though they that he didn't have to, he did. By the way, aren't you glad he helps us that way? Now, the fact of the matter is, despite his impressive appearance, he failed God terribly and utterly destroyed his life and service for God and Israelites. We'll look at that also. He failed God. God was favorable to him. He wasn't trying to live up to the height. He was small in his own eyes. And when push came to shove, he just pleased the people. Instead of pleasing God, he pleased the people. His character and integrity take was empty. He appeared on the outside to be just the guy that we want. Just the guy that we want to be king. We know everything he looks is exactly what we want. That's who we want to be king. And he failed them. And he failed God. And it was utter, utter destruction. Saul's miserable failure teaches us that we must never judge by appearance. Leaders, by the way, are often chosen for their charisma. And for their appearance. More so than for their character, their integrity, their wisdom, or moral values. But this shouldn't be the case because it leads to wickedness, it leads to failure, and eventually destruction. Now, this is true in a variety of areas. We could talk about government, but I I refuse to do that. We could talk about government. But some of you know it's the truth, like I mentioned earlier, in business. You hire a guy or you promote a guy to some high level because of what appears to be a guy that can do the job. And then you put a guy in the wrong position at the top of a company and he doesn't have what it takes on the inside. The company's in trouble. Is jeopardy. But it goes beyond that. It goes to marriages and families. Couples all over the world have married because, man, he is the most handsome thing I've ever seen in my life. She is a fox. Remember that? That's from you throwback guys. 
He's, she's a fox. So I'm going to, well, let me just say this. And by the way, I'm not saying that attractiveness is not important, but what's on the inside better be more important than what's on the outside. They you say, well, I married her for looks and I just got lucky. Well, then you got lucky. But the fact of the matter is, it happens in families all the time. They get married to one thing, and in less than five years, statistics say that they're going to be divorced because of something else. It happens all the time. Families are destroyed because of a lack of character. The outward appearance instead of inward inner qualities are sought after, and the marriage breaks up and becomes weak and is eventually doomed. You see, ladies and gentlemen, God's word is clear. We must not judge by appearances, but by a person's heart. By a person's spiritual character, their initiative, their trustworthiness of a, of a person. And this is the true measure of any person according to what God sees. Now, we're not there yet. But I want to read to you 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. Once, once now God is done with Samuel, he's removed his hand and now he's going to put his hand on David. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7, But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance. Now, why is this? Or on the height of his stature. Because that's what they had done before. You remember the story. God said, I want David. Go get, uh, go get David's daddy's house. And so they bring on the first three. The first three, Eliab and his two brothers, walk out and Samuel looks at the oldest and said, that must be the guy. At this point, even Samuel is judging on the outward appearance. That's got to be the guy. Should I anoint him, God? The answer is right here. The Lord said, look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I've refused him. Watch. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the what? Outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the what? You see, that's the difference between God and us. God doesn't look on the way you look. He doesn't see your outward appearance as the most important. By the way, hear me carefully. That doesn't mean that he doesn't care about it. That just means he doesn't judge you by it. But he does by what he sees in here. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The next verse, I, the Lord, know the heart. I try at the reins to see if they be of God. You see, nobody looks at people like God looks at us. But that's the goal. So let me apply a few things here. Let me just say this. What matters the most to God? Your heart. Let me ask you this. What's in it today? Is it iniquity? Is it sin? Is it transgression? Those are three Bible words that God uses. Is it rebellion? Is it pride? Is it selfishness? Is it malice? Is it wrath? Is it anger? Is it bitterness? Is it envy? Is it covetousness? I don't know. I can't see that when you walk in, Michael. I can't look at Mike and say, well, he's in a covetous mood today. I can't see that. I can't look at you and say, well, that guy has X, Y, and Z wrong with him by your outward appearance. I may be able to tell if you're down a little bit or you're not acting yourself normally. I can't see the fear in your heart. I can't see the decisions that you're making based on your feelings. I saw a t-shirt the other day that said, uh, the, uh, my rights are not based on your feelings. I like that statement. 
The rights that I have in this country are not based on how you feel. They're my rights. Well, guess what? This isn't based on feeling either. I don't, I don't know what emotions have been governing your life as a Christian. I don't know. I, I don't know the decisions that you're making because, well, this is the way I feel. I've talked to plenty of people like that. But I feel this way, but I feel that way. Okay, well, like we said a couple of weeks ago, at some point your feelings are going to run smack dab into the facts. And I have to choose. Am I going to go with fact by faith or am I going to go with the way I feel? What's in your heart? What does God see this morning? Saul's failure to lead Israel come, uh, came at the hands of not pleasing God. That's what God saw. His life was largely based on what people thought about him. As you read his biography in Scripture, he genuinely sought the approval of people instead of God. He lived up to his hype. You could sit that way. So what really matters? Your heart. Let me give you three things about your heart real quick. First of all, you need to nurture your heart for God. You need to nurture it. Psalm 90 and verse 12. I have it written there, but I I, want to give it to you. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Why? Because wisdom is the principal thing in Bible. It don't don't it God. I'm going to paraphrase it. Don't go looking for rubies. Don't go looking for gold. Don't go looking for silver. If you could seek after one thing, seek wisdom. And that begins with the fear of almighty God, a reverence for who he is. That's where it begins. That's where your heart begins with reverencing God and seeking his ways. That's a heart for God. That's what God saw in David. And that's going to be the turn, not just for uh, the, who's king, but it's going to be the turn for Israel and everything that God blesses because of that. Second Peter 3 and verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. You've got to nurture that. Nurture your heart for God. Why? Because it's the most important thing you have. It's what God looks at when you wake up. It's what God nurtures when you open the Word of God. It's what God helps and comforts when you're in prayer, beseeching His mercy and grace at the throne of grace in Hebrews 4.12. It's all that matters to you. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are are the issues of life. That's the next point, by the way, is guard it. You've got to guard your heart. Make sure nothing gets in the way of developing your heart for God. Not hobbies, not family, not friends, not the world, not sin, nothing. Don't let anything stop you from nurturing your heart for God. Why? Because as we'll see in the following weeks, Saul did just that. He actually, you could say it this way, got too big for his britches. And God reveals that. Proverbs 4 and verse 23, Keep thy heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. Put away from thee a forward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. Let thine eyes look right on, and thine eyelids look straight before thee. Ponder the path of thy feet, and let all thy ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Remove thy foot from evil. Why? Because I'm protecting my heart. I don't want my heart to stray. It's prone to do that anyway. It doesn't need any help to do it. So I've got to guard it. Then lastly, surrender it. Surrender it. Paul's biggest struggle was that he surrendered more to the sway of the people than he did the Holy Spirit of God. Paul said it this way, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said it this way to the church at Corinth, the love of Christ constraineth us. It's what Christ did for me that I want to yield back to him. That's the most important part of my life. 
It's the heart of God, uh, my heart for God. D.L. Moody said this, and I quote, I believe firmly that the moment our hearts are emptied of pride and selfishness and ambition and everything that is contrary to God's law, the Holy Spirit will fill every corner of our hearts. But if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and the world, there's no room for the Spirit of God. We must, he said, be emptied before we can be filled. Now, every one of us would say, I want the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I want your spirit to be filling me so that I can love my wife like Christ loved the church. Lord, I, I, I want the spirit of God to be filling me because I'm supposed to train up these children in the way they should go. So when they're old, they won't depart from it. God, I want your spirit to be filling me because I'm going to be teaching these children or I'm going to be teaching children at the church and and I, I don't want to mess anything up. I want to do things right. And God, in my flesh, I'm going to do things wrong. Where does that all come from? I'll tell you, it doesn't come from the outside. It comes from a heart that says, God, I recognize my need for you and I yield to you. I surrender it all. This week, when you're getting ready to go to the store or out to dinner or even to work, when you're getting yourself prepared to go to work, could we ask the Lord if our hearts are prepared to walk before him? Well, we're getting ready and there's nothing wrong with getting ready. I'm not saying there's just not. I want you to get ready. Everybody wants you to get ready. Okay. You need, teenagers you need to put on deodorant. Right. And all all the teenagers parents said, yes, please talk to them about deodorant. Clean underwear is always a bonus. Okay. For you guys. Uh, clean clothes is a bonus. Brush your teeth. Do all those things. Right. We would all talk about those necessary things while we're getting ready for that. When you're looking at yourself in the mirror and you know who's on the other side, could you say, Lord, am I prepared not just to go to work, but am I prepared to walk before you? Is my heart ready? Would you remind me of that this week? Am I ready to be the child of God that you've called me to be? Not the way I look. Based on what you see in here. I'll close with this. First Kings chapter eight and verse 23. And he said, Lord God of Israel, there's no God like thee in heaven. In heaven above or on earth beneath. Who keepest covenant and mercy with thy servants. Listen, that walk before thee with all of their heart. So David said, I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. You need to remember this. When you walk outside your home, when you go out into public, you're not walking only before other people. As a Christian, you're walking before God. And what he sees happening in here in your heart is more important than what he sees happening on the outside of your life. Father, we love you and we thank you for the emphasis, Lord, on the inside of us more than on the outside. Lord, 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Having therefore these precious promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit. Lord, it, it's true. The way our outward life is lived and the way we appear is important to you. I know that it is. But it's secondary to what's happened on the heart. And the fact of the matter is when our heart's right, the outward will be right. Everything we say, everything we do will have the foundation of the glory of God. And I don't know the hearts of your people here this morning. I don't know who's doing what necessarily. I, I don't know what's on the inside, but I'm thankful that you do. 
And Lord, I'm just asking you to help us today. For the heart that's heavy because of sin and who needs to be saved today. They need to be saved because their sin is going to cost them their soul forever. And I pray that they would be saved today. Lord, I can't have a heart for God until I am first a child of God. And I can't be that until I'm born again into the family of God. So I pray for the soul here that needs to be saved. But I pray also, Lord, for the Christian that needs a heart cleansing today. Lord, would you would you reveal what you see to us individually with heads bowed and eyes closed? I want Jenna just to play for a minute, if she will. And could you just take a minute or two this morning and would you be willing to confess the Bible word is to tell the truth about what God sees on the inside? What's he see? I'm not privy to that. I don't need to know that. I don't want to know that. God knows. If you'll agree with God about what he sees, you'll tell the truth about what he sees. The Bible says if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we're so grateful for that verse. Maybe maybe you've put more emphasis on the outward appearance instead of on your heart for God. Today would be a good day just to switch that around. Say, God, I... I want to care more about what's on the inside of my heart. For some of you young people, maybe you've had a bad spirit in your home. And that's what God sees. Some of us that go to work, maybe you've had a bad spirit at work, and that's what God sees. You've done your level best to make other people miserable because some, for some reason you're miserable. And you know that's not glorifying to God. And today you want to get that right. Maybe it's in your home, in your marriage. I don't know. Maybe it's with your parents. Maybe it's with your kids. Have thine own way, Lord. Father, we give this message to you and this time together. We thank you for reminding us that not everything we see is exactly the way it is on the inside. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to work on and develop, Lord, that which is on the inside of us more than the outside. God, I I just fully believe that if every Christian would put as much effort into the inside as we do the outside, Lord, that our lives would change drastically churches would change drastically our our families uh, the way the way we're at work everything about our lives would lead to revival because of our hearts for you lord i pray that you'll lord mend broken fences today I, i pray that you'll uphold the humble and exalt the righteous i pray father that as your people that we would develop nurture and guard our hearts for you Bless the word of God in our hearts today, I pray. And I ask that you dismiss us by your grace, that you'd watch over us. And we ask all this and commit all of this to the throne of God in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right.